Good morning. Please turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Where are my children? Oh, well, there's one. Thank you. Will you go fetch the others? Thank you. Yes, he is. Oh, here comes one. <laughs> Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. We're going to start in verse 17. We're going to be reading through the end of the chapter. Now, this is a pretty good-sized chunk of Scripture, and we're not going to digest the entire thing this morning, but actually we're going to spread this passage out over today and the next two Sundays, because uh, there's a lot here, and it just it didn't seem right to cram all of it into one message. I, I talked to my wife and said, what do you think? Is this one sermon or three? <laughs> and she was like, well, if it's one, it's going to have to be really quick <laughs> from, from point to point. Um, I, I have so much respect for my wife. She, she's home watching, I hope, but, um, but my, my little girl is also, hi, Evie, I hope you're feeling better. Um, I learned this week what I already kind of knew, which is I could not be a nurse um, because I cleaned up two different people's vomit this week and it's like, like I, I just I don't have the stomach for it. Just giving Evie a COVID test yesterday, or the day before, I, I was swabbing her nose. And you know how when you... I almost couldn't keep it down just doing that. People, you know, if you ever stop and think, gosh, I could never stand up in front of people and do what you're doing. I could never be a medical professional like that. It's just, oh my goodness. What's that? You almost became one? Wow. Strong stomach, I guess. And now you work in school cafeteria, so very strong stomach, yes. Hey, amen. All right, so today, today is just the first of four looks that we see in the text of Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 38. And today's message is from the first eight verses, but I'm going to read the whole thing, okay? Because not the whole chapter, but those, all those verses... Uh, we're going to read that section for context, and remember, this comes after Luke tells us about Paul's travels, and that he's trying to get back to Jerusalem by Passover, excuse me, by Pentecost. I wrote Passover, that's wrong, it's Pentecost. So, we're going to pick up in verse 17, uh, and again, it's not going to be on the screen, so if you'd like to follow along in your Bibles, that would be great. Now, from Miletus, he, that's Paul, sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with all tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you both in public and from house to house, testifying to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem. Constra that's an interesting phrase, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonments and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish the course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold... I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. 
Pay attention, careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Notice there, the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Talk about that a little more next week. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I command you, excuse me, now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel, you yourselves know that these hands ministered my necessities into those who were with me. In all things, I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all, because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Let's bow. Father God, I ask in Jesus' name that each person here takes away something great this morning. Your word is incredibly powerful, and it's so chock full of stuff that we, we can't even mine its depths and completely plummet for everything that's there, because it's just so good. I ask, Father, this morning, through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the the gift of your word, that you will change us, make us new. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So today's message is on the first of four looks, and the title is, Look at Me, as spoken by the Apostle Paul. He starts out by calling attention to his own Life and his own example as a Christian. And this isn't a one-time thing either. In fact, Paul told the church in Corinth, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. It's Corinthians 11.1. 1. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Does that statement make anyone feel uncomfortable? We folks in this room are probably inclined to think of this as either really arrogant or really gutsy, depending on how good of a job Paul was doing in his example. But I'd like to submit to all y'all that this is exactly what every Christian ought to say to the people that God has placed in our lives to disciple. And I want to ask you this, and I'm not, I'm not asking for a show of hands. I just want you to think about this, Okay. How many of you would be comfortable in your Christian walk telling someone else, follow my example? Well, my question is, why not? Why not? Because, because it sounds prideful to us, maybe? Or because we know how badly we fail in certain areas, in our, our marriage or our parenting or, or our private life? Or perhaps sometimes we're, we're worried about failing and letting them down, or, or letting God down, or setting such a bad example that, that we're going to cause someone to reject Christ. 
so much pressure that we put on ourselves. I can tell you this, Jesus said in John 6 that anyone who is in his hand cannot be snatched out. So rest assured, you are not going to cause someone else to lose their salvation simply because you're not perfect. So let's just take that argument off the table, okay? That's not even a thing, All right? That's ridiculous. But let's address the rest of those fears. I had a thought um, about this. I want to share this with you before we jump back into the text. Do we have this kind of fear about anything else? Do we have this fear about setting an example about anything else? Anybody ever try to show a kid how to throw a ball? Some of us have, right? Did you worry that you weren't going to be able to teach him or her to throw the ball because you can't throw like Tom Brady or Nolan Ryan? I mean, of course not. I'll tell you this. I do okay in the weight room, but I throw like an unathletic girl, okay? I want to, I'm not even going to say I throw like a girl because there are plenty of athletic girls that can throw a ball, okay? I throw so badly, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. It really is. And yet, it hasn't kept me from playing catch with my kids. Now, the fact that they might throw a ball like an unathletic girl is my fault. No, I'm kidding. But, but it, you know, I'm going to put this another way, okay? Have you ever shown someone else how to change a tire? Or change their oil? Do you hesitate to do that simply because you don't know how to overhaul a transmission? No, you don't need to be Mike Swan to teach someone how to change a tire. Although he can. He can also teach you how to overhaul a transmission. But you don't have to be an expert on everything car to teach a person how to change a tire. And I want to say that up front because Paul's expertise as a Christian can be intimidating and we, we fear setting ourselves up as an example, a godly example for someone else. But we shouldn't be afraid. We shouldn't be worried about that. We should want to be an example that people can look to because that's exactly what we're called to be. And so, so as, we, as we go back through these first few verses today, the Apostle Paul is using himself as an example, and, he, and he's showing us at least seven things about how Christians should live, okay? Verse 7. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. You, you may remember from, <coughs> excuse me, from last week, he chose not to go to Ephesus. And part of this might have been for time's sake. You know, because he was trying to get, you know, to, to Jerusalem in time for, for Pentecost. But also, from a practical perspective, I mean, they had just had a riot over there, right? Over him and over his teaching. And so maybe uh, he was just being pragmatic. So he sends out a message to the elders and he says, hey, you guys come to me. So they would come to him, to Miletus from Ephesus, and, and hear some final encouraging words. Okay? And when they came to him, he said to them, remember, these are the elders of the church. Okay? He said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Okay. The first four things out of the seven are contained right here in this paragraph. Okay. And Paul makes it very clear that, that these elders, these shepherds 
of the Ephesian church, they had been witnesses of his life there pretty much since day one. So he appeals to their memory of what they had observed. He begins with the example that he set of being observable. Okay? Our first point here is that Christians must strive to live in the open. We must strive to live in the open. Now, this doesn't mean that you, you wave your dirty laundry around for everybody to see. That's not what we're talking about. But simply that you understand that you live in a glass house. You know, when you're inviting people to observe your life, your life has to be observable, like Paul. And it means you, you probably shouldn't, you know, sequester yourself in a little cave and, and refuse to interact with others. <clears throat> I want you to notice he says that they knew how he had lived among them the whole time. And so he had been among them. <laughs> he had been engaged with them, interacting, connecting with them. It's really difficult to make disciples of anyone if you're not social, if you're not connecting with people. And this is part of the reason that I feel like the, 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 the pandemic was such a problem for the church at large. You know, sure, pastors can preach doctrine, you know, and you can learn things by, by listening, but, but it's often been said that some things are easier caught than taught. You've heard that, right? I think that becoming a well-rounded believer takes both. You know, you, you can be saved by hearing the gospel and believing, okay? That, that is, by the grace of God, possible simply by hearing. And that doesn't necessarily require a personal interaction, Okay? But being discipled is a different thing. An old saying that's still around today because it's true explains the steps of apprenticeship like this. It says, first, you watch me do something. Then you do it with me. Then I watch you do it. And then you go do it and show someone else. That's apprenticeship. That's discipling. This is true with the Christian life. When you, when you receive faith in Christ, you're saved, but much of your sanctification is going to come from, from interaction and engaging with other believers who will tell you, even if it's just by their actions, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. That's part of discipling. And as that is happening, you are blessed to have input into the lives of other young believers and to show them how to do what you've been taught. Now, what's, what's truly glorious about this process is that you have the Holy Spirit living in you and causing this growth as you cooperate with Him. And I believe He also makes up for the gaps in our teaching. Anyway, live openly. In Matthew 5.16, Jesus told His followers, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So that's what we ought to do. Next, from Paul's introductory words, we see that <coughs> Christians ought to strive to make a good first impression. Make a good first impression. Did I forget to do the fade transition this time on the PowerPoint? Sorry about that. 
If it seems like I'm reaching on this one, I want you, I want you to stick with me because I think it's going to bear itself out. How many of you can finish this sentence? You don't get a second chance to make a first impression, right? He says that they saw how he lived among them from the first day that he set foot in Asia. Okay, That says to me that he didn't waste any time getting involved in the community where he landed. Paul got off the boat, he got to work. You know, people could see that Paul was serious about what he was doing. He wasn't a tourist. Now, I know we live in a society that is very, very bent on a consumeristic approach to everything, even church. But that's not what we are called to. So, friends, let me encourage you. Whenever you get... <coughs> Can somebody grab me a bottle of water, please? They're in the door of the fridge. Thank you. Matt's got it. Appreciate it. <clears throat> <clears throat> Excuse me. When you get into a new job or a new neighborhood or a new school, or even if one day you find yourself attending another church, get involved. You know, hit the ground running if, if you're wired that way. And now, you know, I, I gotta say, um, a lot of you guys have done this. You Platonic folk have been really good about this. Thank you, Matt. Um, I love the fact that uh, that. You know, Peggy just jumped right, sorry, I'm going to call you out, just jumped right in and was like, I'll clean the church. You know, they haven't even been here that long. This is what I think we're supposed to do. And I know a lot of people are less extroverted than I am. Probably most people um, are less extroverted than I am. But, and sometimes you need to kind of get the lay of the land, you know, before you jump in. I get that. But, but that's fine. As long as you, you work toward plugging in as soon as possible, and set an example by engaging from day one. And then once you're there, serve God with humility. That's the third thing that we ought to strive towards. Serve God with humility. You know, being really frank, I think it's, it's kind of funny to hear somebody say, be humble like me. <laughs> but that's pretty much what Paul's doing. Now, one of the ways that, that he draws attention to his example is in saying that he served the Lord with all humility. Friends, humility is hard to come by in our society because it doesn't get the press. I remember hearing a story, actually reading a story, that Mother Teresa, um, however you feel about Mother Teresa, she did some amazing things. She was a pretty amazing person, and she uh, was in Calcutta. She was being interviewed by uh, a, news, a newspaper person. You know what that is? Newspaper? <laughs> She's being interviewed. And she was washing the sores on the back of a person with leprosy. And the person said, how do you do this? They said, I couldn't do this for a million dollars. And Mother Teresa said, neither could I. And continued to wash the back of the leper. That's humility. You know, a lot of famous people in our culture are, are athletes that are getting paid millions of dollars to play a game or people whose looks give them big parts in, in movies and television. Sometimes it's, it's people who run for political office. But the people who do the most important things are the ones that don't always see the glory. You know, a couple of weeks ago, you're probably understanding this, you know this, Damar uh, Hamlin, he, he, I didn't, never heard of his name before this, but he collapsed on the field 
with a cardiac arrest right in the middle of a football game. And to be fair, like I said, never heard his name before. Probably never would have because I don't care about sports. But a lot of people know who he is because he's a, he's a player in the NFL. And, and while the teams and, and the coaches just kind of stood there fecklessly, you know, they, oh, this ambulance rolls out on the field and the emergency people, you know, the personnel piles out and they got to work on him. And, you know, one of, uh, one of Shannon's friends in healthcare pointed out that the most important people on that field at that very moment were paid the least. It's interesting. I doubt anyone in this room can name the EMTs that were there. I can't. You know, that's not to make us feel bad. It's, it's, this is how society works. The most important jobs are often the least visible, but without those people, the visible parts couldn't happen. You know that, right? Do you understand that? You know, every week we have a rotating group of volunteers who come in and clean the building. We have folks that stay in the nursery with babies when we have babies here. We have people that hang out in the crow's nest up there, you know, doing the, the PowerPoint and, and the sound so that we're able to follow along. And these are, these are all, you know, making sure the service gets streamed so that the people that are sick or that are, you know, not local can watch. And these are all ways of serving God, and they don't always get the recognition. But listen, guys, God sees. God sees. And Paul was certainly involved in ministry, but I don't get the impression from Scripture that he walked around instructing people to call him apostle. Or anything like that. He was, he was humble. And I think sometimes we equate humility with being unwilling to share good things about ourselves. And that's not really what it means, biblically speaking. To be humble means to be willing to lower yourself. To do the dirty jobs. To take care of people who can't take care of you back. To be kind to people who are rude. And to try not to complain. You know, years later, in the, uh, the, the, same, the same church in, Eph in Ephesus, I'm struggling to speak today. Um, Paul wrote a letter, and he writes that Christian, the word is bond servants in our English Bible. It's, it's doulos. It's basically slave. Christian slaves should do everything for their masters as though working for the Lord. We go, that doesn't seem, you know, what? When you're a bond servant, you're, you're in some kind of indentured servitude. You know, they were essentially slaves for seven years. He says, do it, everything you do, as though working for the Lord. Because why, when people see us doing that, it brings honor and glory to God. Not to us. Not to us, but to your name be the glory. So set an example for people to see. Not, not so that they'll think more highly of you, but so that they may see Christ in you. And he is humble and lowly of heart. This is what will attract people to Jesus, seeing Jesus in his people. Paul also shows that we should try hard to persevere in difficulty. And this is one of the hardest things to do, I think, because we, we live in a culture that tries to minimize suffering in every possible way. You know, we, and then we, we get used to not having to deal with suffering. And so 
then later we encounter a tough circumstance that we're not ready for. Maybe we had no way of expecting it, and, and it, it, it really rocks our boat. You know, maybe we're, we're stuck with a chronic disease, or we have a, a spouse who has a chronic disease, or, or maybe we have a mental illness, you know, or financial troubles, or, or being hated for trying to do what's right. That, that, that was Paul's main struggle, being hated for trying to do what's right. He, 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 he was hated by almost everybody, <laughs> frankly. You know, the, he was a Jewish Christian who was despised by the traditional Jews because he recognized and worshiped Christ as the Messiah, but he, he didn't let this, this pressure keep him from faithfully preaching and teaching and living the truth, and neither should we. I'm, I'm convinced that Christians desperately need to learn how to suffer well. If we're going to set an example like Christ, yeah, I think a lot of us are, are terrible complainers, and, and I'm, I'm one. I admit it. I struggle with that. I'm working on it. But I'm struggling with it. You know, I think one of the things that God really dislikes is complaining from people that he is providing for. Go read the book of Numbers. <laughs> there are some pretty intense things that God did to show people, you shouldn't be complaining about my provision. But frankly, here's, here's another thing. How many of us, raise your hand if you like being around somebody that's always complaining. Yeah, that's what I thought. For the record, no one is raising their hand. It's, it's one of the least attractive qualities a person can have. It's somewhere between like body odor and arson, you know? I mean, it, it's, a, it's a bad thing to constantly be complaining. But, but it doesn't mean that we have to suffer in silence either. Instead, we should let other believers know, like, listen, we're, I'm in a difficult situation here, and that way we can do what Galatians 6.2 says, and we can bear one another's burdens. And in this way, it says we do what? We fulfill the law of Christ. So it's one thing to complain. It's another thing to say, this is what I'm struggling with, okay? I just want to make sure that you guys understand there is a difference. The scripture says we need to trust God. We need to keep persevering. To persevere means to patiently endure. It means stay strong. You know, not in your own strength, but in his strength, leaning on God. When we do this, if we do it, it serves as an example to the world that God makes us capable to deal with things that we're not capable of dealing with. He gives us the ability through His strength to handle far more than we should be able to. People need to know that He can do the same thing for them. Now, are we going to do it perfectly? No. But we can show the difference between someone who knows and relies on God's strength and someone who doesn't. Anyway, I'm going to jump back in here on verse 20. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there are a couple of things here that jump out at us from Paul's description. But before we get into that, I want us to notice that Paul taught the people not only in public, but from house to house. You know, there's a biblical precedent for having in-home Bible studies with people or simply discipling them in the way of Christ by, you know, by 
just being with them, spending time with them. We don't have to rely on Sunday mornings in a corporate worship service to be the only time that discipling happens. In fact, it should happen everywhere else. You know, sometimes we, one of the best ways to impart your Christian faith in another person is to drop by for coffee on a Saturday morning and, and listen to their struggles and say, hey, let's pull the Bible off the shelf and, and look at some things. And guess what? Anybody in this room can do that. Any of us. Whether you're 9, Finn, or 90, Craig, I'm just kidding. <laughs> He's caught it so many times this morning. Uh, Craig's a good sport. <laughs> what about the rest of what Paul has to say here, though? He, again, he's using himself as an example about how we ought to be bold about God's truth. Notice that he says, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. Now, now this, this is an interesting statement for a couple of reasons. Uh, one is the phrase, I did not shrink from meaning that he, he didn't cower from doing what he knew he was called to do. He was bold. He was courageous. But secondly, consider what it means to declare to you anything that was profitable. In other words, he, he, was, he was sure to say whatever he felt that these people needed to hear in order to be the people that God wanted them to be. Now, if, if, we, if this is intended to be understood to the fullest extent, extent, then Paul, Paul is claiming that he never, ever left anything unsaid that needed to be said, whether in public or private conversation with these elders and possibly the whole church. And that may be what it means. But I want you to bear in mind that, that the audience here is the elders of this church, and he's referring to them and others in the church who had willingly submitted to his spiritual authority. So, in other words, people he was actively discipling. So, I just want to say that. Noting that context, we should certainly balance his bold example with the words of Christ. He said, let's not throw our pearls before swine, okay? You've got to be careful. That doesn't mean you always speak whatever's on your mind, you know? I want to say that. Um, I think, in fact, forgive me if, if this is a little off, but I... I posted the other day, and I mean this, a person who is proud of always saying what comes to his mind is like being proud of incontinence. It's a terrible idea. It's so bad to always say what you're thinking. It is a good thing to always say what the Holy Spirit leads you to say. But if you always say what you're thinking, that's a problem. Because what you're thinking isn't always good or right or helpful, Okay. I've learned this painfully several times. Last week, no, it's probably at least once or twice last week. Just be aware of that. Anyway, uh, in other words, he, he was talking to people that he knew were listening. But if you have a willing audience that's listening, sometimes even an unwilling audience, but they're listening, we should certainly give them every good thing that the Lord has given us to teach, even if it goes against what they previously believed, even if they struggle with it. And Paul did this both to Jews and to Gentiles at Ephesus, who, who likely would have struggled with different things that he was teaching, because the Jews would have wrestled with the idea that righteousness before God was by faith instead of by following the law, right? And the Gentiles would have had trouble with 
monotheism, you know, only worshiping one God. And on top of that, they were so rife with sexual immorality to be told you can't do that anymore would have not gone over well. So they're hearing stuff they don't want to hear. But Paul was very clear. He, he was sure to say what he knew the Lord was leading him to say. And we ought to do the same thing. And that goes to a clear conscience, which we're going to talk about next week. Okay? In the same message, Paul makes it clear what the main thrust of his message was. Repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, now this, friends, this is where I see a lot of individual Christians and even even large churches and, and even pastors falling short. I think most, most are quick to declare that salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That's a huge thing. But sadly, the need for repentance is often overlooked. And we need repentance. Whenever we disciple someone, we should always teach repentance alongside faith. You may recall that the Greek word translated repentance literally means a change of mind. And it signifies the, the turning away from sin and the turning toward God. And this is not something that we ought to take lightly. There's a, I call it a, a theological malpractice that's going on today. And it's been going on really since the first century. Uh, we see it rejected in many of the New Testament epistles. They call it antinomianism, meaning lawlessness. But I think today we can call it easy believism. And it teaches that, that mentally accepting a few theological facts is equivalent to biblical faith. Friends, that is not what the Bible teaches. In fact, the Bible is clear that even demons mentally accept some facts about God. But the demons don't turn away from their evil and turn to God. It's James 2.19, if anybody wants to look that up later. A person who has true biblical faith is going to undergo a metamorphosis. By the way, that's that word in Greek, metamorphos, it comes out of that passage that Everett picked this morning. I don't know if he, that was just the Holy Spirit or what, because I didn't give him the scriptures this week. He picked them as himself, and, and that was there. It's fantastic. Just like how your communion meditation fits right in. I tell you what, God is active in this place. Do you feel Him? Do you sense that the Holy Spirit is active in this congregation? I hope you do. I sense it. And I totally lost my train of thought, but that's okay. A person who has true biblical faith will undergo a metamorphosis. They become a new creation in Christ Jesus. And this is, this is not optional Okay, according to Paul, this is a necessary ingredient to salvation. He wrote, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. I'm going to say that again a little more quietly. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Of course, we may not immediately see the difference. You know, they don't like go down under the water in the baptistry and pop back up with a halo and wings. That's not how it works, but at least not how we see it anyway. But, but the difference is there nonetheless, okay? A person who is truly saved will show the evidence of the new life of God in them. We must teach this. We, we must live this. 
Our lives should be observable examples of God's grace in effect. And anyone whom the disciple must know, excuse me, anyone whom we disciple must know that repentance is inseparable from faith. They can't be taken apart biblically. So let's, let's go back and look real quick. Live in the open. Okay? Have a, a glass house, a transparent life. Make a good first impression. You know, get, get involved. Meet people. Connect. Do things that are good. Serve God with humility. Don't do it to draw attention to yourself, but to draw attention to Christ. Persevere in difficulty. We're, we're all uh, learning this because we all have something going on in our life or in the lives of someone very near and dear to us. Be bold about God's truth. You know, there are times when you might be speaking to someone that you know is not listening, and the Holy Spirit still tells you, you need to speak to that person. Obey. Be bold. And teach repentance alongside faith. Don't make it easy believism. (laughs) I think sometimes when people are are taught that it's just mental assent. It's almost like, like getting an actual vaccine. And by that, I mean an inoculation. A little bit of dead Christianity is injected, and it steals them against the real thing. They think, oh, all I have to do is just say, oh, I agree with this and this and this. Okay, that's good. I'm saved. I'm done. Not what the Bible teaches. It is entirely by faith, that we are justified. Entirely by faith. But that faith will have lasting results. It will bear fruit. Do you understand? Do you understand? Okay. All right. Uh, Let's finish verses 22 through 24. Just got one more point. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. And he heard right, that is what happened. But did it deter him? No. Uh, But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, fitting in very well with Philippians chapter 2. Tell you, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. These three verses show Paul's priorities plainly. It's a lot of alliteration, but I hope you caught that. These show what Paul believed was most important. He didn't even consider holding on to his life as a reason not to do God's will. And this is a fantastic example to those elders and to us that Christians should strive to prioritize God's will above all else. God's will should be the most important thing to us. Now, the Apostle Paul knew the ministry that God had given to him, that Christ specifically had given to him, and he, and he was to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And in a way, that's, that's every Christian's ministry. You know, it looks different for different people. There are some that are more out front, like Paul, or like a preacher in the pulpit, and there are others who are behind the scenes. But we all have 
the same calling and the same goal to be a part of the process of making disciples, including ourselves. And when we make, when we make following God's will the, the number one priority in our life, it affects everything else. It affects our thoughts and our attitudes and our convictions and eventually our actions. And like Paul at this point, I want to just say this very clearly, none of us have finished our course yet. And we know that because we are all still alive. Okay? If you're alive, God's not done with you, and you're not finished doing His will. So you're not done, and you're not finished. <laughs> I saw the, the knotted brow. Yes, God's not done with you, and you're not finished doing His will. So be encouraged, because it doesn't matter how old you are. doesn't matter how young you are. It doesn't matter how much family you may have or not have. It doesn't matter even how effective you feel right now, because feelings lie. God has more for you to do in this life, or you wouldn't be here. So, so in some way, you have a contribution to this glorious mission of making disciples, each of us is here to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So let, let's end on this note. What is the gospel? The gospel is that Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God and God the Son, voluntarily gave His life on the cross, humbled Himself even to death on the cross. And He did that to pay the penalty for every wicked sin ever committed by sinners, including your sins and mine, and that God bodily raised him from the dead where he was seen by hundreds of eyewitnesses proving that everything he said was true. And that God-man, Jesus Christ, has commanded everyone to repent and believe the gospel. Have you done that? Have you repented and believed the gospel? If so, then pour yourself into your role in God's mission for us. And if you've not done that, if you've not repented and believed the gospel, then will you? Because you have a chance this morning. Or is it afternoon by now? No, it's still morning. You have an opportunity if you have faith in Christ, God placed that in your heart. Do not deny it. Do not walk away. Receive Christ. If you have not yet, ask Him to open the eyes of your heart. And if you have done those, those if you've gone through the, the process that Christ commanded you know, to, to profess the faith and to be baptized, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that word means immersed. If you've done those things, well, that's just the beginning. The rest of your life is to be a testament to the glory of God. Maybe this morning you recognize that you need to recommit your life to Christ. Maybe you say, you know, I, I realize I'm, I'm continually falling short and, and I'm not trying hard you know, to go the opposite direction. And maybe that's, that's what you need. You need to say, I need to repent. I need to publicly 
acknowledge my need for repentance and, and ask for accountability. If that's you this morning, come forward during the, the song here at the end. And if, you're, uh, if you just feel like joining this church, if you think, you know what, I, I found a home here, bring it. We'd love to have you. We want to walk alongside you in your journey too. But if the Holy Spirit is leading you, don't say no.